you, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. <laughs> Welcome to Salt Lake Dirt. I'm your host, Kyler Bingham. Today, I'm very excited to welcome back Stephen J. Schwartz to the show, especially because it's our 100th episode. And Stephen was actually our first guest back on episode one in 2020. So it's kind of full circle. Very cool to have him back um, on the 100th when he was our first guest. And he kind of took a chance and believed in us enough to jump on on a first episode podcast. So very cool to have him back. Very cool that we've hit a hundred episodes. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening this whole time. If you have been, or even if you just joined up recently, but I should say the reason I had Steven on the show back in 2020 was because I'm a big fan of his work. And I just, I felt it was, it'd be easy to have someone right off the bat that I was passionate about their, their stuff. I love their novels um, and he, he was very supportive of Salt Lake Dirt when it was still in the, just the website form where we would do print interviews. He was on that w- way back when. So it just felt like a good fit. Someone I could, you know, be as comfortable as I could in this awkward format called podcasting when you've never done it before. And there's a billion podcasts out there. So I just wanted someone I felt like I could talk to and he definitely fit the bill, but I should mention his novels, which I love, uh, one is called Boulevard. One is called Beat. They're part of what's known as the Hayden Glass LAPD Detective Series. Very cool books. Very unique. Uh, highly recommend them. And then his his nonfiction collection called Hollywood versus the Author, which is where I first heard about him. It's out on Rare Bird Books. Uh, definitely something you, you don't want to miss if you're interested in the realities of having novels adapted into film and TV. So I think if, if you're a listener of the show, this is a collection you, you would definitely be into. Uh, I'll have links to all these books if you want to check them out. But I'm very excited because he he actually just put out a, a new collection. It came out in November of 2022. And the book is called Stormy Weather or Not We Believe. It is still Stormy Weather. And it's a collection of his short stories, his poetry, and other writings. Highly recommend it. I'll have links to where you can get that as well. And very cool because it's over 300 pages. It's a decent sized book and you can get a hard copy for around eight bucks on Amazon. So um, really good, really good deal. Um, Just a great read too. So we'll get into that and kind of the backstory about that book. But I, you know, I just want to thank Stephen for coming back on the show. And I want to thank our listeners if you've been around for, you know, just a little bit or you've been around since the beginning, thank you. This show is really a work in progress, and um, I appreciate all the support I've had from so many of you out there. Okay, let's get to it and talk to Stephen J. Schwartz on the 100th episode of the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. Last time, I, th- I think so. That was about that was over two years ago that okay. I had you on the first time. So uh, I got to mention to everyone, we have Stephen J. Schwartz here. And um, he was our first guest on the Salt Lake Dirt podcast. And now he's our hundredth guest. Uh, and that is such a cool thing. Um, welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you, Kyler. Um, 
And I appreciate it. Uh, you know, that's 50, 50 shows a year, I guess, is what you've done, which is pretty damn impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't, I, I can't, <laughs> I'm kind of speechless. I don't know how I pulled that off. I think just kept plugging away. And, yeah. and um, but it, but in the beginning, I knew I was really nervous to do it. And that's why, that's one reason I wanted to start it. Yeah. So I knew you were someone that I would feel as comfortable as I could with a person on a show. So that's why I asked you from the get go. So I just want to thank you for, for like humoring me back then being, being guest number one. Uh, that was very nice of you to, to be on that episode. Well, we would never have known that I was guest number one. You seem like you already you had it together, and and uh, it's it's going to be kind of cool to have this conversation now after you've had so much more experience doing this. Yeah, I still feel inexperienced, but I think it, it you know you pick up a couple things, and um, yeah, it's it's been it's been cool. So yeah, again, thank you. And I was kind of planning. I'm glad you reached out about your new book because I had been in the back of my head. Um, wanting to have you on as the hundredth guest, so it just oh, kind of like cool. it, kind, it kind of collided that way. So, but yeah, so let's. Um, but the, the new book, so I got to mention, uh, it's called Stormy Weather or Not. We believe it is still stormy weather. <laughs> awesome book. Uh, so I finished it. I read. I finished it up the other day, and really enjoyed it. It was cool to see those two first short stories uh, you had sent me those a while back. So that was cool to see those in print and just a really enjoyable collection kind of felt like I got to know you quite a bit more. So maybe just talk about, you know, the, the clearly these are writings over, you know, a couple decades or, or so, and what kind of made you decide to put them all together into one collection? And this just came out last November, 2022, yeah. I believe. So it's a pretty recent book. Yeah. And it's the first thing I've ever self-published too. So I, I, I mean, I don't think I did a really good job of self-publishing it. You know, just the, the, uh, the, the interior art design and that kind of stuff was not something I'm, I'm great at doing, but I just wanted to get something. I had so much work that I had done over many years. I've all, whenever I travel, whenever I go places, I'm in a hotel or at a, a cafe or a bar. I'm always doing some kind of writing, and I've collected writings over uh, you know three decades now. And and um and there are things I didn't want to just have. You know, if something were to happen to me and I'm not around anymore, these would all just disappear. They're in boxes, you know, in my closet, and and um and uh, and I had you know dog-eared different pages and stuff, but. But it really required some digging and some searching and, and compiling to get everything that I thought I wanted to have in one place that kind of represent represented my viewpoint. So I mean, like if you know, right now there's Boulevard and Beat, and then there's Hollywood versus the author. Those are the kind of things that I've done, but they don't really speak to my perspective, my my point of view about the world. And and I think all these little things together um, uh, really. They 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 complement my my outlook of the of the world. Yeah, I, I disappear. You know, especially for my in my kids or grandkids, whatever. I want them to be able to have one place they can go and say, "Oh, okay, this is this is what my dad was going through in this period of his life." Right. So I think what's what is so cool about it. So if someone picks us up, doesn't know you, I feel like they get a pretty good. They get to know you over the course of you being like a very young man. Um, you know, just out of out of high school, I believe. And then uh, up until now, so I think it it really follows a cool 
I love like the just the kind of random thoughts, like the section that just has thoughts and kind of mixed in with with poetry. And it just felt like it felt like hanging out with a friend and, you know, and you just kind of have conversations that are no no real point to them, but those can be the best conversations. So you get to know someone really well that way. So I, I felt like you were, you're pretty vulnerable with a, with the reader in, in a good chunk of it. And I just want to bring up a couple things. Um, like you had mentioned, I think early on it says, and I'm not sure when you wrote this, but you said that your writing got a lot better after your father passed away. And I wonder if you, you could speak to that a bit. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that's um, I've, I've talked about that you know, in the past, my, my, um, there are certain significant things that, that changed my writing. Um, music had a huge influence on my writing, you know, all the way through school. I studied music, you know, through since I was in fourth grade and, and I love the musicality and rhythm of words. And so I really am focused and, you know, I hear words and, and part of my processes in writing is just, is creating syncopation and, and rhythm and, um, uh, and, and, legato and staccato and in 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 just the phrasing of, of of words and so that i think has has given me a little bit of an edge on, on my writing from early on is just the influence of music um but when i was um when i was 20 when i was 14 my father um divorced my mom after having had a uh a relationship with another woman for six years before that which we didn't know about and so suddenly 14 family splits up and then when i was 20 my father committed suicide so that was that was just a really intense moment in my life, and that um, there were I suddenly my writing changed. It really changed overnight, uh, and I mean that day that I found out that my father died, I wrote Meditations on a Suicide that night, basically, and um, and my writing just it, it clicked, it just switched over, and it was because I had things that I had to talk about that were so important they couldn't be kind of hidden within poor writing. You know, the, the writing had to come up to the level of the topic. And and my writing between that and music, you know, my writing really significantly changed. Yeah. And then and then you so let's talk about the, yeah, the meditations on a suicide. I just watched the short film too on YouTube. And that 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 was a trip seeing you. Um <laughs> as a yeah, very cool. I mean, it was very it had such like emotion to it where it felt like kind of like a twilight zone in a, in a, in a weird way to me. Like I love the way, so it's in black and white. I'll put a link to the, the YouTube video. If people want to check it out. Um, how, how quickly, I think you mentioned it, but I forget. So you shot that pretty soon after you, you wrote it down. Um, how I, close I together you, was that? So I wrote it. I, I wrote it the night that I found out my dad killed himself. And then I did like a little polish the next day, and then it stayed in that condition uh, as it was, as it is in the in the collection. The script is mm -hmm. in the collection, and then um, and then I had to go to film school and learn how to make films. Uh, and so I went to Cal State Northridge, and I became part of the film club. And and then I met a bunch of film students, and and I tried to get the film off the ground at that time, but none of us were really quite qualified to do it right. And and I tried a couple of times, and then and then it took me about four years or so before I had done um, a, a kind of an internship on a, uh, a Jake and the Fat Man episode uh, <laughs> where I got to sit beside the director, my agent at the time, 
put me together with the director of this episode, and the whole crew came from um, Hill Street Blues, um, and it was kind of cool. So I had the crew yeah. from Hill Street Blues that I was that I was observing on this episode, and then I said, "Hey guys, I'm I'm, you know what? I'm confusing this with my second film. The first film." Um, uh, came from a different internship I was in. So there was, it was just kind of a combination of internships and meeting professionals in the industry. But it was a professional crew for Meditations um, that, uh, that that basically said they read the script and they decided to donate their time to making it. So I had a good, wow. good crew and, you know, and a lot of other crew people. I basically wanted to find people who knew more about me because I was directing it and producing it. And I, I, I didn't want – I wanted to have to rise up to their level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found a good crew and, and I said, I'm shooting in black and white and, and, you know, against, you know, a number of people have, have, have said, don't shoot in black and white and you know, this and that. And I said, no, this film has to be black and white and it's going to be a slow moving film. And it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be what it is. I remember we were doing one of the shots where, you know, the, the father is walking around his room and deciding whether or not to, to, to take these pills. And it was a long, long shot. And it was kind of just in the back. You know, he was walking around. And um, one of the my producing partners on the film said, you know, this is this is a really long shot. Don't you want to cut somewhere and have some inserts? And and I thought about it for a moment. And I, and I said, no, the film is going to take as long as it takes to tell the story right. Because hmm. um, that's, that's a key moment. when That's the moment I visualized that my father was going through in his hotel room where he, where he took these pills and which is a place I visited. Uh, I was the first person to go into that hotel room, you know, after he had committed suicide wow. um, before they rented it out to somebody else. And I just said, can I go into the room and spend about an hour just sitting there? Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I imagined my father in that room, looking at the mirror and walking around that room and then taking these pills, you know? And so I, I really wanted to try to capture that in, in the film. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely heavy, um, and I, I should mention to people. So this was shot in sixteen millimeter too. So this is like, I I know um, a lot of new filmmakers aren't familiar with working with that that, and but just like the the technical, you really have to know what you're doing when you're shooting a film film like that. And so it it was just so cool seeing like a well put together. I mean, I think it holds. So that was. 30 years ago or so. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, and it, it, I mean, I thought it was a beautifully done film and very, very emotional, very evocative. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, 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 that's incredible. Um, and, that, and that affected me, you know, that moment in my life and, and has, has mo- moved me and everything I've done since then, everything I've written has come from that space and especially anything that, 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 that's angry, you know, comes from that, that space. Is it try, is it kind of like, um, to understand where he, where he was coming from or just to, to get to know him better? Like, what were you, what were you, what were you trying to get? Like, what were you going through when you were like writing this? What compelled you? I mean, you say that you, you wrote it the first the night that you fi- found out that's, that's pretty amazing to me. Um, like you, you clearly had, you, you had a direction of what you wanted to get down on paper and, and you, you knew that much going into it. Was it, um, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm just curious about that. If you don't, if you don't mind talking yeah, about no, it, I, I don't mind talking at all. Um, it, there was a lot under the bridge, um, a lot of water under the bridge and his relationship with my father. And when he left the family when I was 14 and, and a very, 
complicated, you know, uh, relationship. And when he when he killed himself, what what it immediately made me feel was just anger. I was angry that he had done this. I was angry that you know, in my mind, I always thought, well, someday in the future, we'll be able to repair a relationship and have this wonderful father son relationship that we haven't had. And that's always in the back of your mind or my mind, you know, as we weren't communicating that well. So he took that opportunity off the table, you know, by telling himself, it's done. You know, there's no opportunity ever again to have that relationship. And and while I didn't feel like I was responsible or I was guilty, I, I did feel that, you know, he, he had made a phone call. I just moved into a new uh, house with some roommates in Santa Cruz, California at the time. And... Um, and I remember coming home, and, and this was before, you know, voicemail and cell phones and all this. And, and I had a roommate that said, uh, oh, by the way, your father called. And and I thought, okay, I'll call him back later, you know. And, and I'm thinking, at this time, we weren't really talking that much. And I was kind of angry at him for, for something that he had done. And so I figured, well, I'll call him back in a couple of days. Well, you know, the next day he killed himself. Yeah. So, you know, you wonder what could have happened during that call. Could I have sensed that he was desperate and was going to do this. Um, I would have dropped everything and, you know, gone to New Mexico and, and pulled him out and, and said, let's be father and son and figure this out together. Um, but didn't have the opportunity. At the same time, if I got that phone call, I also might've been really pissed off and said, you know, and been a jerk to him because I was upset with him at the time. And I really would have felt that. <laughs> so, yeah. And you were know, tw- 20 years old, right? At the time. So you're still a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, and I, so, yeah, I mean, it was so the film was an angry film. I mean, that was <laughs> that was my anger. Yeah, and and it's and and I just I just wanted to grab him. You know, I still feel like I, I go right back to that moment. I, I still so feel so angry about that. But then thereafter, the next story I wrote was Yardside Candle, which is in the collection mm-hmm. too. And I and I realized that that on the other side of this anger was this sorrow and this missing of him and missed opportunities to have a relationship. And that's what Yardside Candle is. It's a fictional piece about a little boy who comes home, eight year old kid comes home from school one day and finds his father sitting in front of this candle, slumped in front of this candle and won't play with him, won't go out and play Frisbee, won't do anything. And every night he comes back for eight days, the father is just falling apart more and more in front of this candle. And that's the Yardside Candle, which in the Jewish tradition, you, sh- you sit shiva and you and you bite beside the candle and the candle burns down over the course of eight days and that's what his father was doing because the father's father had died mm-hmm. the kid's grandfather had died but to the to the boy he just thinks the candle is 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 destroying his father so he you know he he gets a plan together to snuff out the candle you know and yeah. uh, so there's this you know moment of climax when he tries to do that and the father pulls him close and you kind of realize that they have an opportunity to be close, you know? So that's where that came from. Yeah. I love, I love that short story. And I, I love, I love this, like the, the story about the short story, like after the fact, how it kind of like, you know, it wasn't published anywhere. And right. then, it, and then it got into that Jewish noir collection. Yeah. And then you got, you got like probably the best blurb a person could get and it got printed like way later. So yeah. Tell, tell us about that. I just thought that was so great. Yeah. I was, um, you know, I was going, I was trying to become a film director and screenwriter. And so I really, I'd written this short story and wasn't really thinking of how to be a published writer. Um, and, uh, but I'd written short, uh, Yardside Candle and won a couple of competitions, right? When I, when, when I, when I finished it. And then, um, uh, Elie Wiesel, uh, the Nobel laureate, Elie Wiesel, um, who wrote Night, 
um, and day, uh, came and spoke at our campus. And I came up to him afterwards. And I said, hey, I've written this short story. I wonder if I could send it to you. And so um, he said, sure. So he gave me an address and I sent it to him and he was teaching at Boston. And um, I don't know, a couple of years went by. I forgot about it. It seemed like it was forgotten. And then I got an, a, a, an, a letter from his assistant that said, oh, by the way, um, Ellie Wiesel had written this little thing for you and he probably wanted to get it to you, but it, but it got lost in the office. So here it is. And and here was this little blurb. I didn't know it was a blurb. It was just something that he had <laughs> written and said, he said, um, what did it say? Uh, um, uh, you know, thank you for giving me yards I can't to read. Um, I found it evocative, penetrating. I forgot the last thing he said. Uh, good, good stuff, you know. And he said, I hope it will be published. And so I, um, I thought, wow, that's cool. And then I put the story in my drawer and left it there for thirty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Kenneth Wishnia, you know, uh, approached me for the Jewish Noir collection and asked me if I had anything to do and. And I, I sat on it for a while trying to think, what should I write? What should I write? And I said, hey, you know, I wrote this story. It's about a little boy. It's not really Jewish noir. And he says, well, no, that works. And and I and I said, I got this little comment from Ellie Wiesel, too, that we can use. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that uh, that's incredible. Um I, so I'm kind of jumping around here a bit, but there's there's a couple things I, I wanted to ask you about that really ca- like kind of sparked my interest. So I think it's it's later in the book. Let's see, you you have a like recollection of a friend that you mm-hmm. knew that had been putting. I think he was good. He was a producer, yeah. and he he was you know the overnight success, which takes what 15, 20 years <laughs> in Hollywood. He was kind yeah. of getting to that point before he got sick, but he. Um, I'd love to hear more about him. And then the whole Ed Wood screenplay really <laughs> kind of grabbed me because I'm a huge Ed Wood fan. Yeah. So all of that, I mean, he just sounded like a really fascinating person who didn't get his due. It like time ran out for him. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear more about him. He, he was a good guy named John Otto. And um, I don't even know how we originally met, but um he was like the best producer I've ever known. The young guy that just didn't didn't catch all the good breaks yet, but he was passionate about, especially about telling World War II type stories and and, and strong female driven stories. And you know, he he would find me stuff and say, "I want you to write a treatment for this or a script for this." And um, and one was about Zelda Fitzgerald, and so he he got me all the, the material. And he he had the ability to just get in there and talk to people who knew the original people and get the rights to to memoirs and things like that. So we had Zelda Fitzgerald, we had Amelia Earhart. Um, he got me in an interview with Sherwood Schwartz, uh, yeah. who produced um, uh, this series of... Uh, Gillig- uh, Gilligan's Island, Brady Bunch. Yeah, yeah. But before that, he did this World War II Voices of America show. Oh, right? yeah. Okay, you talk about that in the book. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were in. So John Otto got me into his... We got to his house with all his cool Gilligan's Island <laughs> on all the walls. And, but we talked about um, you know the, the early Voice of America stuff. And, um, and, and so whatever John brought me, it always was great stuff. And, and I, and I would do stuff for him for nothing. Cause I knew it would pay off to someday. And in fact, when I left uh, working for Wolfgang Peterson, I left because John Otto had got me a writing assignment, um, and got me into the, the writer's guild, um, for another producer. And, and so, um, that's when I left working for Wolfgang, cause I wanted to go back to being a writer and not a development executive. And John kind of 
path, you know, paved a way for me to be able to mm-hmm. do that. So John was just a really unique character. Um, he was gay, but he he kind of hid that, which is very sad to, to think because he, you know, he had a separate kind of life in, in, in West Hollywood that that I didn't know about except stumbling onto him, you know, one time in that area. Um, but but it was he his, he was a gay guy. I mean, he was his, he we knew it, and everyone around him knew it, and, and that's just who he was. And he had a partner who was a male, and so. We knew this, but he but he still didn't talk about it. And I think that came from the fact that he was adopted, and his adopted parents, when they found out he was gay, rejected him. I mean, they just threw him out, and that was it. And so, very very sad. And um, ultimately, what happened is that he got his partner got AIDS and died, and then then he got AIDS. And and he was the first person that I knew that I knew closely that that, that had AIDS. And I went to the hospital, you know, and saw him, you know, towards the end, and. Um, and it was, uh, it was, he was just 40 years old. He, he turned 40 years old in the hospital days before he died. Yeah. And he had so much potential. Yeah. I I think I, what I love about books like yours is when you, you, you kind of shine the light on somebody who, you know, as far as like, you know, not with friends and, and, you know, some family, but like from a broader perspective of like creating art, they're going to be forgotten because they didn't, they didn't quite get there. So I love when a book like yours shines a light on somebody like that and, and shows how, you know, unique and special this person was. I mean, it came across, he sounded like a great person. I, I would have loved to have had on the show, you know, uh, just super fascinating. So I, I, I love when, authors like yourself include include people like that i think that's just a wonderful thing well that's how we learn about the world and that's how we learn about ourselves too by by observing i that's the thing that i I love most about life is just being around other people and, and hearing their stories yeah yeah um it's so funny. I, I do this w- with my students at the usually the first week of school. Where we we talk about. I have them pick. Ideally, if they if they know what their first memory is, or if they can zero in on what their first memory is, they uh, they write about it, and then they go home and uh, they talk about it with you know if you know if their parents or grandparents were there for the memory and then they kind of compare notes you know what i mean and so we i think it's just a good like kind of a team building activity whatever it's it's kind of fun and then i tell them my early memories but one chunk in your book that i really liked was it it was kind of like you isolated different childhood memories and just kind of hopped around and i i i don't know i just i find that so fascinating like what we remember especially our early part of our life and because sometimes it, it kind of makes sense of why something sticks, and sometimes there, yeah. you can, I don't know if we can figure it out. Um, I, I I don't know. I would just love to hear you talk about kind of like the like the earliest memories. You don't need to get into specifics if you don't want to, but just um, what made you decide to like write down these early early memories? Um, because I think something like that, like I said, I do with my students. I feel like that is one way that I, that I can try to get to know them a little better without being invasive, you know, they get to kind of like censor themselves if they want to or, or whatever. But I feel like you, you really, you get the human level of a person when you can picture them as like a, a very young child and kind of like the stuff they remembered, that stuff that stuck. So 
yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. What do you? I think it's a <laughs> great assignment for your students. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love probably steal it someday if I ever. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's funny because I it so in in the book it's called Things Remembered, and it, it's one of the things that I actually completely forgot that I had written. Um, you know, I found it in a box, and I read through, it and I went, "Oh, this is this is fun." You know, I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this um and i would hate to have lost it uh so i you know i went in and did a little polishing and and put it in but but yeah it starts off um with this paragraph i've always insisted that i remember the moment of my circumcision i would have been eight days old i remember smiling and cooing then suddenly being very angry i remember lying in a crib and receiving a stuffed animal of some sort i remember thinking that this was hardly compensation for what was taken (laughs) so that's a and i and i still you know, and my, my family laughs at this and they said, no, you do not remember your circumcision. You know, it's impossible. And, and you're just, you know, you're, you're making this up in your own head. <laughs> I don't know. I've always remembered it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to isolate all the things that I remembered that had some kind of effect in my life and, and made, you know, an imprint. And, and um, it was a fun thing to do. And there's some tough moments in here, you know, um, like, you know, I talk about me as cooties, and that's something that always stays in my mind. There was, you know, a little girl in, in yeah. who had some kind of strange disease. I don't know what it was. And um, all the kids would run around and touch her and then touch someone else and say, me as cooties, you've got me as cooties. And it was just a terrible. I remember at the time feeling it was it was a horrible thing, and I didn't want to participate in that. But I probably did participate in it once or twice. And, um, and then suddenly Mia wasn't there. You know, and we had counselors come to our elementary school and tell us that Mia was too good to be in on this planet, and God wanted her back. And and uh, boy, if that doesn't have make an effect on you in your life, you know, nothing does. Yeah, little things. So I just kind of went through these memories. Um, you know, the memories of my my dad and and breaking with my mom, and and my mom telling me when I woke up to have cereal in the morning that my father had left. And I yeah. And, you know, and my father crying for the first time when I saw him afterwards and, and on and on and on, you know, little snapshots. Yeah, no, it, it, it is interesting. Like I was just thinking about like, you know, memory that I had when our, our first dog died and it was in the morning I got up and I, it's, it's, I don't know how old I was, but you're, it's when you're the age where your parents seem like they're like like 10 feet tall. (laughs) And so I remember in the kitchen, my dad was crying and I've never, that was the only time I've ever seen him cry in my life. And it was, it it just was like startling because it was, it, I just didn't know. I'm a kid, a little kid. So it's like my, the dog dies. So that's horribly like, that's, you know, the first times you're interacting with like death and what death is and what, like, why, why is the dog not here anymore? Um, And then you also see, like the vulnerability of someone who's, you know, in your mind is not vulnerable, at least, you know, for at that young, young age. So it, yeah, it's amazing what, and I have this very strong visual of it, you know, and it's of course, it's like stretched out, elongated, distorted because he's like 10 feet tall in the, <laughs> in well, it's, and we didn't cry in my household. You know, when I, was, um, we were, we were encouraged very heavily not to cry. So I, I learned not to cry and I never saw my father cry until, you know, until he left my mom and, and you know, picked me up at soccer practice. And I was 14 and, and I saw him crying and I was like, I was shocked. 
And I was almost ashamed for him that he was crying yeah. because you don't cry. I was never allowed to cry. Right. It took a long time to, to be able to cry. And now yeah. I cry with, you know, campers <laughs> commercials. <laughs> That's good. You're getting it all out after <laughs> holding it in for so long, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, I want to talk about, so I, just on a personal note, I know we're both dog people and you have, you have the most beautiful dog I've seen in a long time. So yeah. Finne, Finian, is that his name? Yeah. Finian. Um, t yeah. Tell us about uh, Finian. I mean, I mean, just a beautiful, beautiful dog. <laughs> if any listeners wants to see Finian, just go to my Facebook page and you'll see plenty of pictures of him. Um, well, we had a Labradoodle named Molly for, she was six, 17 years old. 17 years old, and we had to put her to sleep. She had cancer by that time. She was blind, and it was just really hard, really hard to put her to sleep. Um, and uh, and we waited about a year, and the pandemic was destroying everything, and you know the politics and everything. I needed a dog, so a year <laughs> later, you know, we we said, okay, it's time now. In fact, my family realized I was so depressed. My family realized, okay, get a dog. Just go get a dog. You know, <laughs> we started looking around, we're looking at Craigslist and we're thinking, okay, we love the doodles. We want to get like a Bernadoodle or a Sheba doodle. They're so damn cute. Um, so I was looking around and then I found these, these pure doodles, a great Pyrenees doodle, you know, yeah. Pyrenees morphed with a standard poodle. And I saw these pictures and I said, that can't be, these, those can't be real. They're so cute. <laughs> they were eight weeks old. And I and they were close. I didn't have to like drive off to you know Utah or something. <laughs> you know they were up you know an hour north of uh, of Berkeley. So and I'm in Santa Cruz, so it's not that far. So so I went to see an, uh, a Bernadoodle first. I said that's a cute dog. You know I'm gonna but I'm gonna check out these other Bern these Puradoodles. And so I went up to this area and there was eight of them. And and as soon as I walked into this little gated area, they just leapt on me. Everyone was leaping all over me. There's all these big bundles of fur and i go oh my god i have to choose one i said first of all i am going home with one of these if i had room in my house i would go home with two um, i'm an apartment so i didn't so so i just i got to choose one and so i was just kind of limiting say okay take that away okay take that one away and there was just one was just the, the cutest thing in the world and um i chose her and brought her home and and it just and i tell you this is we live off of West Cliff in Santa Cruz, and so we're walking West Cliff every day. And I call Finian the star of West Cliff. <laughs> we take her out. She's such a unique look. I mean, she's as, as giant Muppet as you can possibly imagine, <laughs> all white and puffy and full of long flowing hair and a weird, big, giant, you know, uh, Great Pyrenees kind of head stuffed onto a and onto a poolish body. It's just, it's, it's, it's nuts, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but so beautiful that um, we get, we get at least four people asking to photograph her every day. We take her <laughs> Everyone comes up and wants to pet her. And then people often will thank us after they spend a little time petting her. They say, thank you so much for letting me pet your dog. You know, it's like, so now we're kind of known around Santa Cruz for, for having opinion. Well, she, I, and, yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen. I don't think I've seen that breed before. So I kind of was like, "Whoa, where did this, <laughs> where did this one come from?" And yeah. it it is like it just has that welcoming look, like just so much love in a dog, um, and so cuddly looking. But yeah, I mean, I feel you though on the because I have three dogs, and I, I yeah. as much work as they are, they saved me during the pandemic. Do you know what I They yeah. saved my mental health by, so you know, cute. for sure. Uh, you know, it's but, a, um, there's a short story in the collection called Still Life with Dog. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I wrote that a long time ago, but it's so funny because it's just about being at the dog park and the relationship <laughs> with people and their dogs and how they feel threatened if somebody comes into the dog park that doesn't have a dog. And when I travel a lot, I'd sometimes go to dog parks and I would just hang out. I need to have a dog fix, right? And, you know, you're talking to people and you're petting dogs and they say, you know, where's your dog? We're talking to you. Well, I didn't have a dog here. And then they just kind of take a step back and they're wondering, what are you doing there if you don't have a dog? And recently I visited my son in New York. He's in Manhattan. And there's a dog park in Washington Square Park. And there's a sign on the dark park that says, you cannot come in if you don't have a dog. That's a sign like that. They've and, had and problems. I went, huh? I went over to my son and I said, no way. My dog is in California. I've got to go. See, these dogs are adorable. There's a lot of doodles in there. So I went in there and sat and we were playing with the dogs and all that. But, you know, some people ask, where's your dog? I said, yeah, my dog's in Santa Cruz. I'm <laughs> getting my dog fix. That's, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah so, i mean the, the, so the short story is really about a, a woman who feels very threatened when she finds out that there's somebody there who doesn't have a dog and all the dogs are really attracted to that guy right person. i mean all the dogs are coming up and 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 all the dog owners start to feel threatened and start to take their dogs away and leave the dog park <laughs> early because there's someone there who doesn't have a dog yeah. And, and then he kind of like, he goes off to the city, right? At the yeah, end. Yeah. Is that, yeah. I love that. No, I was talking to, I was at a, I was at a, a writer's, this guy I, I interviewed and he let me come over to his home and his dog was the, the sweetest dog. Like, and so I felt very special, you know, because he was jumping all over me and I, and I said, is he like this with with everyone. And he's like, yeah, he's like that with everyone. It's really like, it's hard for him as the owner. Cause he's like, yeah. he would just like go off with anybody. <laughs> right, he, right. he just loves people so much. Well, the best thing you can hear is when a dog owner says, he's never like this with anyone. Yeah. You know, I can't believe how much he, he likes you. You know, it's like, that's like, that's gold to me. Like, Oh, suddenly I'm in love, even more in love with their dog. Yeah. No, it is funny. One of my dogs, he, um, I, I, we finally have to stop. We finally stopped watching TV with him around because he, he's so reactive. So, um, like he, I was watching. So sometimes he, it, it's fine, but other times, like like he, he looks at a like Stephen Dorff. He has a problem with Stephen Dorff. He doesn't like Stephen Dorff. But yeah. he, the other night, I was because um, I listened to Mark Maron a fair amount, mm -hmm. and so he hears Mark Maron's voice, and then I put on Maron's new special. And he was just like watching him the whole time. He didn't bark, he didn't react, but he was just like into it. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny, like they, I feel like they pick up on something. I don't know, but they, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, I grew up with Mark Marion, oddly enough. I remember you telling me that. So this, <laughs> is, yeah, I would love to hear. I think one thing I, I knew you grew up in, um, Albuquerque. Albuquerque. And then yeah. you mentioned that quite a bit in the book. So, um, and you're both you're both Jewish. Is that kind of how you? Yeah, about this the image? Jewish community. He's a couple years older than me, so I didn't really. I was more friendly with his brother, who was a, like a year younger than me. Uh huh. And Mark was more my sister's age. Um, but um, but yeah. So you know, I know I've been in his house a number of times, and and it, and it was weird. Is that I had a friend back from Albuquerque who contacted me a couple of years ago and say. Steve, Mark just mentioned you in his in his podcast, and so he sent me like the thing, and I listened oh, to no it. Oh no, shit! <laughs> well, he was Mark was interviewing Ben Schwartz, right? The, the actor Ben Schwartz. Yeah, and Mark was saying, "Oh, I knew a Schwartz. You know, my 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 pediatrician, my doctor, my pediatrician was a Schwartz, and he killed himself." <laughs> and, uh, 
And then Ben Schwartz was like, what? Are you serious? That's really dramatic. And he said, yeah, yeah. His son was like friends with my with my brother, you know. And uh, but it's uh, but yeah, it's not a good sign when your you know, pediatrician kills himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of kind of wild. Well, that, my, my, I don't think Mark even really remembers me. He's gone. Although I saw him when he first started, when he moved to Los Angeles, and he played at the comedy uh, club um, on Sunset. I forgot which one it was. And uh, and I saw him when he just was first starting doing comedy. Wow. It, was, it was cool. It was neat to see him and do that. That's cool. Yeah, out of Albuquerque, out of Albuquerque. I don't know. I mean, you probably know of a lot of people that have come out of Albuquerque and have have done some cool things. Mm. Um, but it is like I feel more akin to someone from Albuquerque, like being from Salt Lake, even though you know different landscapes. But it just feels yeah. like that that West yeah. is there. And yeah. so it feels when I meet people from New Mexico, it feels familiar to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I've been there a couple times. I mean, it's a beautiful place. Uh, did you did you like growing up there? Or were you just ready to get out by the time you got to college age? Um, it, after I left, I, I, I really liked having grown up in Albuquerque. It was in that day and age as a doctor's son. It was great growing up in Albuquerque until he left, and then suddenly it wasn't so good. So I still had a few years in Albuquerque, you know, uh, with the family split up and it wasn't quite as good, but, but I had a great childhood. I mean, growing up there was, was wonderful. Um, I didn't really see the dark side. I didn't see the breaking bad side of Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I did want to get out and I wanted to get to Hollywood, you know, and I wanted to get out and, and make movies and, and, and uh, so, it, and I had to get to the ocean, you know, immediately, uh, which I've been at ever since I moved to the LA area. I've always been by the ocean. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was good to get out of Albuquerque, and for still for many many years, New Mexico was home. Even though I, like I lived in Hermosa Beach for many years, I still considered Albuquerque home. And and then gradually, as I started having kids in in LA area, you know, Hermosa Beach became more of home for me. You know, at that time. Yeah. What was that for the kids? I love I love this the story where you're you're 16. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're doing, I was kind of, I was, I thought that was so great that you were able to go on a road trip and yeah. you survived it <laughs> at 16 and you just kind of threw the agenda yeah. out and you're like, let's just go, let's just head to the ocean. That was like the, that was the focus. Like, let's just get to the ocean. <laughs> True story, man. She's still so fun. And that guy now um, is a brain surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Changed his name for the story, but it's pretty recognizable for people who would know him. But um, yeah, it was like, I, for some reason, I don't know. I mean, I understand why my mom let me go because she had like no control of me, you know, and, and yeah. when I was, by the time I was 16, I was kind of you know, an adult, you know, given those freedoms. But this kid, you know, his parents are like doctors and, <clears throat> and they basically said, well, you can take this two week trip, road trip to California, um, provided that you have a, an agenda of, you know, a list of all the places you're going to be every night, and who you're going to be with. And so we wrote out this, I don't know, 16 page agenda, whatever. <laughs> as soon as we got in the car, we're hitting 75 miles an hour on the freeway, and John just starts throwing the agenda out the window. <laughs> what do you got? What do you got going, Steve, for the next two weeks? I don't know. I'm free. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would that must have been incredible from a, like a, a 16 year old's perspective. That's that's so cool. And was that the first time you'd been to California, or just? No, to I used to go um, <clears throat> as a kid. My family would go. Every summer we'd have a, a trip, a vacation, and I would always want to go to to the Laguna Beach. You know, that's where we go when we go to California. We go to Laguna right, Beach. right, okay, yeah. And every other summer we would go uh, out to LA to Laguna Beach, and and I just knew I'd, I'd have to live, you know, by the ocean someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then so so you're in Santa Cruz now, 
and that you've been there for a while, right? Up in just a few years. Okay, not too yeah. long. Yeah. Okay. I got to really enjoy it for six months, moving from LA to just loving Santa Cruz, and then the uh, then the pandemic hit and uh, changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, are things kind of coming back? I'm just getting over COVID right now. So I don't know if you can, I'm, oh. my voice is still kind of, you know, um, it's a lot better than it was. So I almost was like debating. I was like, ah, but I'm feeling pretty good right now, but it's still there. So I've been, I've been out of work the last little over a week, but um, how, how is it in Santa Cruz? I know in, in Salt Lake, it's kind of like, I don't know if people are just tired of it, but it's like, it doesn't even <laughs> exist yeah. anymore. Well, Unfortunately, in Santa Cruz, people were tired of it from the start. And uh, <laughs> my wife and I and my kids, you know, when they were here, we were the only ones who were wearing masks for the most part. There'd be like, yeah. you know, 10 to 20 percent of the people in the city would be wearing masks, you know, at, at the peak, you know. And, um, and, uh, and you know, we still don't. I mean, I'm still restricted. Our, my, my wife's got some medical, you know, some asthma and stuff. So she's never had COVID, but it's because we've produced a, bu- a bubble around her. Mm-hmm. And, um, we've always been masked and she doesn't go into restaurants and except in an outer part now she'll go. And it's been a very slow movement towards kind of some normalcy. But there, and, and when I, and I travel for work, I have to travel out. When I, when I'm traveling, I, I'm out there. Yeah, everybody else, and I do business meetings and shake hands and all that, and then when I come back, I, I have to isolate for a certain amount of time. Um, so and and then be around my wife with a mask for, for for a certain amount of time before we, you know, are sure that I'm fine and that I don't have anything that she can get, and then go back into my bubble. So it's it's I'm I'm very angry with the pandemic. <laughs> I'm very pissed. I'm ready for this thing to be done. Yeah. You know? Well, because I think when we, when we talked the first time that it was. I, f- I think it was August or September of 2020. Yeah. And, um, it was, you know, it was, it'd been going on a few months, but it was still kind of like we were adapting to it. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's just like a, it's a, it's a marathon and exhausting. And so I, for, I can't imagine that seems so, yeah. <laughs> that seems no, listen, so think, hard to do. I got COVID back in June. Um, finally from going out to a work event, it was in Las Vegas and there were uh, thousands of people and this big convention. And of course I got COVID as, as well as 40% of the people I knew that went to this thing. And, uh, and then that turned into bronchitis. Um, and that has become long COVID and uh, it's, not, it's not, it doesn't have a lot of effect on me except for the fact that I haven't, I don't have the energy. I get tired real quickly. I can't exercise or also in my lungs, I can feel it in my front and my back a part of my lungs um I, I have to go and get checked out um i really have to kind of see what's going on with my lungs right now but um but you know i used to kayak every weekend yeah in the ocean, and i tried kayaking after that and i just didn't have the energy um uh so you know it, it's this is what it's doing to me and i was pretty healthy you know mm-hmm. um and my wife with asthma I, we don't i don't even want to get her near this you know right yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's awful. I mean, I loved seeing the kayaking pictures. That was, yeah. that makes me want to like get into that. Cause I know there's plenty of spots up here yeah. um, that look like a blast, especially out. Cause where, where were you going? You were going all over the place with that, with that well, kayak. Mostly in the ocean. Um, I like ocean kayaking. I love being in the ocean. I could, I could lie down in that kayak. It's an inflatable kayak. And I could lie down there and just fall asleep in the water. Which I've done a couple of times, and I've had boats come by and say, "You okay?" I'm like, yeah. 
but there's like there's hundreds of California sea lions um, at the pier, and I'll and I'll I'll kayak a couple miles out to the pier, and I will uh, and I'll go right up to the sea lions and hang out with them, and they'll jump around me, they'll look up at me, and they'll say, "What are you doing here?" And <laughs> I've never had any kind of aggressive vibe from them. The otters will come by, and the pelicans. There's so much, so much wildlife and sea life out in Santa Cruz. It's just that's my real comfortable space is when I'm out there on the ocean with the, with the sea lions. There was one time though, that it's an inflatable kayak. And so I was kayaking kind of a little bit further than I usually go. And I started feeling the, the, the boat, the kayak kind of being pushed out a little bit to sea. And as I was trying to kayak back, um, somehow my inflatable seat kind of got dislodged from the thing. And I thought that one of the chambers was leaking. Oh, and no. oh, this is not good because I'm just not getting any motion, and I'm and it's the sun's starting to go down a little bit, and I'm starting to get pushed out further. And I had my cell phone on me, and I thought, oh god, I don't want to be that guy who calls out, you know, and says, "Can you come bring me back into the harbor?" You know, and they send like ten fire trucks, and you know, and and coast guard and all that stuff. And but if I didn't make a call, they would have definitely done that, you know. Yeah. So I called, I managed to get a phone number for the harbor, and I said, hey, you know, I know you guys have like a, a couple of lifeguards on a, on one of those uh, jet skis. Can you just send them around and kind of pull me back into harbor? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to have to send out the boat. Oh. And so they sent out a big <laughs> boat, and they had to pick up my kayak and throw it in the back. But at least they didn't send helicopters and fire engines and, and all that stuff, you know. That oh, was that's kind of scary. At least you had your phone with you. Yes. I mean, wow. That's yeah. and reception. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. Wow. Um, well, I know how like stuff like that is just so important for for mental health, and like the dogs are important for mental health. If you if, you know if you if you're a dog person like us, I think one thing I really admired in in the book too is just how openly you, you spoke about depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can relate a hundred percent to all that. You know, I don't I don't talk about it much. I probably should from time to time, but it, I just, I, I related so much to what, um, you opened up about any, and even just about, um, I loved it, like the honesty about how writing had become hard. There's a certain chunk. I don't know. Was that during the pandemic you wrote that or was that, was that something else? Earlier even. But look. even, but no, I could relate to that too, because it is, it, it's refreshing to hear that from other writers that, you know, it's not, it's not easy <laughs> to write. Even if you love it, it can be a struggle. Like one of my favorite writers, I, I talked to him a while back and he said, you know, something like if anyone tells you that it's, that it's like fun and enjoyable and doesn't mean you don't love it, but it's like, they're full, they're full of it. They're full of it. So I think it's, it's great when you hear someone that you respect and, you know, I, I love your writing. Um, your your novels are are awesome. I've read um I've read Beat a couple times yeah. now, and um just yeah just someone I admire. So it's so it's really cool hearing that because I can relate to, you know, you know when it becomes hard and like you're not doing it and you're beating yourself up and and then you you're like you feel like you're losing it. But I I just I just want to say I just appreciated how open you were and vulnerable. I know. Um, I'd imagine that that's hard to put that out there, but me, someone, you know, I'm a, I consider myself a, a, a fan and a friend, but reading that was like really, really helpful to me. And I, I just, I want to thank you for, 
for sure. getting that down on paper. Was that, did you, are you kind of at the point where you feel fine just putting that, all that out there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's funny. I have like, you know, work friends will say, oh, you know, did you have a relaxing weekend writing? You know, did you do, cause I know you like to do that. It's your hobby. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. You wrote about that too. And that was like, oh, I know. I, yeah. I relate to that too. You know, I just don't even want to talk about it with people I work with because they do kind of like, brushed off like oh that cute little yeah. thing you do you're yeah, writing little words <laughs> um, but but i i said no i said it's it's actually really hard in fact it's like exhausting and it's become more exhausting to write because once you've had a couple of books published you, you, you at least for me i start to put the bar very very high mm. and you forget that that what you're reading in the final novel published form has been written and rewritten and worked with an editor and you've got a copy editor and on and on and on. And on. So, <clears throat> so when you read from your book, um, you're looking at the, at, at the best that you can do right at that time. And so every time I sit down to write now, I, I that's where the bar is. Right. And it, it's very hard for me to just barf out a first draft. Like people say, you just have to vomit out your, your yeah. first draft. I just can't do it. Um, I have to, I will I will write and rewrite each chapter ad nauseum until that chapter looks like it's reached the bar, and then I go to chapter two, mm -hmm. and then chapter two is going to look terrible because I've written and rewritten the first chapter, right? And so, and then you go back and forth. I'm in that process. I've been for the last three years. I've been writing my my next novel, and I've got a phenomenal first chapter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I had like 140 pages of this book that 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 most of that is being tossed out. Um, mm -hmm. and, but that first chapter is like, that first chapter is the guiding point, the touchstone for all that will occur after that. If, if the book can can deliver what the first chapter promises, then it's going to be my best writing that I've ever done. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's taken me, you know, all this time and pandemic years and Trump years and all that and depression and working and, and, and trying to find time to write. Um, so it's been a, a very difficult process and not fun, you know, not yeah. fun. but when I get into certain moments of it, when I just let myself kind of go, then I think, Oh, wow, I can still do that. I feel it. You know, there's this mm -hmm. energy. You just feel pumped. Well, it's a, yeah, I think that's, that's a great way to put it. Like it, it's not, it's not fun. Um, most of the time it's like, but, it, but you're compelled to do it. Like you need, you have to do it. Yeah. And I think if someone doesn't, can't relate to that, then, you know, they just can't relate yeah. to that. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I was, I was encouraged to see, cause I knew you had mentioned before that you had been working on something. So I was really happy when, you know, in the bio of the, of the new book, it mentions that you're, you're currently writing a novel of uh, dystopia set in the not too distant future. So I was, yeah. I'm happy that you're, that you're plugging away. And um, like I said, I'm a big fan of the other stuff that you put. So I think I've, I've read everything that you've print that you've, um, <laughs> you put out there at this point, yeah, which, cool. yeah. Um, thank you for that. Of course. Well, it's good. So it, it was no, it was no chore on my end. Um, that's, what's always nice too. When I have someone on, I really try to read the person's like entire book. I haven't always done that. Um, but I, I come pretty close, but it's nice when I like with your book, it was just like a, it was a pleasure to read it you know, it was enjoyable. And so that's, that's kind of why I wanted to start <laughs> doing a show like this was like to talk to people that I, you know, like the writing. And that's why you were the first guest because I did like your writing so much. Yeah. <laughs> it means a lot. It means a lot to me, Kyler. Thank you. Absolutely. This is as I, as I've not 
you know, been published for a while and I, and it feels like I'm just drifting off into nowhere land, you know, and, and, and I know I've got this thing that I'm working on. Um, and at, at some point it will be done and then I'll be kind of back into the game again, you know, it, yeah. it's going to be, until then I just feel like I'm kind of drifting off somewhere. So it's nice to, nice to do this podcast. Yeah. Um, it's been a while. Well, no, I mean like it, even like, so Bruce Wagner, he's one of my, one of my favorite writers and, um, he, you know, he's written a dozen books and he, he, I don't know if he said it on my show or another interview that I, that I read, he felt, cause he's about, I think he's close to 70 now. And he said he was feeling like he's forgotten or his work is forgotten. Um, and he, you know, he's put out a couple things. This is before he put out his last book, I think. And so, um, like in my, that blew my mind because it, he, he, he's an author that I'll probably, the depth of his work is like, I'll come back to it probably the rest of my life. I'll pick up one of his books and read it at a different point and you reread it or whatever. So I feel like, um, you know, you never know where your, your stuff is going. And I think I got the, I bought the, the, the Kindle version of, of yours first before I, I ended up getting the hard copy. Cause I just like having the hard copy too, but I wanted to support and get the, the, the Kindle, but I, I love that it's on Kindle unlimited because I know I have friends who, had that subscription and they're they just plow through books like constantly so i'm sure you'll get like a, a lot of readers just to have the kindle unlimited um yeah. subscription you know just based off that so it's it's cool just i'm just so happy you, you put it out there well thanks i uh again I, I i a lot of it was just i just felt that um that would all be lost if if i wasn't around and then i just kind of wanted to have it all together and and um, even if it doesn't get a lot of readers, I, I wanted it together so that that my kids and grandkids at some point, you know, can can look and say, "Oh, this is this represents all the stuff my dad did." Yeah, yeah. No, it's like a, it's a complete picture. It's like a, I mean, it, it, it's great. So, uh, well, I guess we should say it because we're kind of we're kind of wrapping up as far as our interview goes. Where where do you recommend people pick up a copy? Of, of the well, new I book. think it's all just Amazon stuff. Again, I'm 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 kind of terrible at self-publishing and, and putting this stuff out. But the on my website, on, on Facebook, if you go to my Facebook page, um, you can find the links. There's a, just the Kindle, you know, link, um, and then there's the, uh, the, uh, the 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 hard copy link. Which for some reason people have had a hard time finding the hard copy link. Um, so if you kind of Google it, you should be able to find it. Otherwise, it, when, when your when your uh, podcast comes out, I'll, I'll I'll post a link on my website on my on my um, Facebook page, and I'll put the links on that too. Okay, to to get it. Yeah, and I, I tried to make it so that it wasn't. I like the Kindle; it's like three ninety nine or something, and I wanted to keep it inexpensive. And, and it's about as low as it's as low as they'll let me go uh, for the print copy, which is like eight ninety nine. I wanted to be four bucks or something. Yeah. Um, but because of the page count, I guess there's a certain level that it has to be at. Well, yeah, I was kind of shocked when I saw the because it's yeah 337 pages and it was like eight bucks. I mean, I don't yeah. think I. That, I mean, that was that's a steal. I just so, wanted to get it out there. I don't really. I don't intend to make. I don't ever intend to make money as a writer. <laughs> so um, I just kind of wanted to get it out there, and and I would sell it for less if I could. And, and the reason it's 335 pages, I think, is because everything in there is double spaced. Again, another kind of mistake of mine. Um, and, and so it probably could be uh, shorter and, and less expensive if I, if I knew how to do the interior design properly. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I think it's great. I'll, I'll have links in my write-up. I'll put links to both the Kindle version and the print copy. That way people can just click it easily and get there. And then um, you people can find you on your on your website, stephenjschwartz.com, and then yep. also your Facebook uh, page uh, as well. It sounds like you're pretty active on that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Great. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this has been this has been so cool. So um, I'm so happy you came back for the hundredth episode, and then we'll have you back at any point. Thousands, thousands. thousands. How about the two hundredth or the one fifty? We'll have you back. Wait, that thousandth will take. I don't well, know listen, if I'll be around. <laughs> I think I think when the next novel is done and being published, we might be at that thousandth episode. So, <laughs> definitely, you know, well, for me. Either way, you're welcome to come back, and I, I just want to thank you for being so supportive of uh, of my endeavor. I mean, it, it's people like you that really helped me um, to to get this going, to be like to be willing to be on, and then to just be supportive. And um, it's just been very encouraging. So thank you, you so help, much. You help others definitely, and, and I I know in the past I've turned people on to you, so that so you can meet them, and and um, you've helped their careers. So you've been you've been a wonderful asset to the writers in our community. You know, well, I, that, that's great to hear. You know, um, well, yeah, I'm having to, so one another of our kind of group chip jacobs is going to come back on um in about a month um we're going to talk about one of his older books that he um that i just got so uh yeah there's a no that that's that's awesome to hear and the cool thing is too i don't know if you knew we're on the radio up in your area on san and and santa cruz we're on um uh, kpcr 101.9 fm every monday night at 6 p.m so that just got picked up this summer they reached out and so that is fantastic i'm gonna be listening to that now um yeah 10 kpcr 101.9 fm so it's santa cruz and monterey so i'll um i'll let you know when this is going to air on yeah, so cool. on that but that'll be that's all around that area so that's yeah it's it's been very cool congratulations to see for that that is awesome yeah no it's been it's kind of funny i thought of you right away because i'm like oh well he's i think you're the only one in, in the area that yeah. would be able to hear it um broadcast so I'll, yeah i'll send you the, the links for that but um, so they're gonna cool. go back through your whole um uh your your, your last hundred or so and pull and, and or is it just gonna be from this point forward so How's the way that? the way i kind of do it is i try to keep it is close. So you, what I try to do is put the radio version on uh, Monday night, and then if it's a new episode, then I'll release the podcast version right after the radio. Okay. Um, and if I don't, if I don't happen to have a guest lined up, then I just pull from one of the old episodes yeah. and put up. But we've been pretty like pretty exactly. busy, so I've been able to keep it pretty fresh for the most part. Well, so um, now when I'm out walking Finian, <laughs> I know who you are. You're the guy that was on the radio interview. Exactly. The there you, <laughs> I'm always curious. I'm like, I know that I know somebody's listening out there. We we saw some like good numbers, but I'm like, I'm just, I'm kind of curious, you know, cause I know when I listen to the radio, it's usually just, you're listening, but you're kind of not listening. It's just there uh, different than a podcast where you tend to be a little more focused on what's being said. Yeah. Uh, but Hey, I'll, t- I'll take what I can get. For some- something decent on the radio in Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, it's not San Francisco, which has great radio, great mm-hmm. jazz, great things going on. And, and it's, it's, it's in this weird kind of area where the, where the reception isn't phenomenal and there's not a lot of great choices. And so I'm always trying to find something NPR or anything to listen yeah. to. 
I'm a fan of the state. Like they have great, um, so it's a community radio and they, they have a lot of great music. So that, and they're always kind of filtering like weird little shows. Like Tony Duchesne has his show on there now too. Um, Yeah. So I think, I think he's on Wednesdays, but, um, yeah, it's kind of a cool little eclectic station that, um, yeah. You know, anytime I turn, because I, I have that tune in app where you can you can check any radio station all over yeah. uh, the country and I, I'll just put it on to see what they're um, playing. And it's always like really cool music, you know, yeah. so yeah. and it's going 24 <laughs> seven. I think I've stumbled onto it before and I've heard some great Irish music. On yeah. It yeah, probably. <laughs> it's definitely one of the, one of the few that, that I do. I do tune into. But I don't have no reason to do it. Well, um, yeah, soon enough, you'll, we'll, this will be on, and yeah, so... Uh, well, let me know. Let me know what's on. I, I will. I think just saying hello through the door. Oh, is that... That was my, my guy right here, he was just snoring, so he's <laughs> he's completely out. I think we bored him. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Stephen, thank you so much again for being on the show. This was a blast, and um, thank you for all, all your support. Hey, thank you so much, too. Uh, much the same from my Absolutely. end. Absolutely. Great. Take care, Tyler. Bye. Thank you.